With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. KXNO. Ken Miller, Trent Condon. They are Miller and Condon on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Good morning. Welcome in once again. Miller and Condon on the air with you here on a Tuesday. Trent Condon running solo here for the next couple of hours. We got lots to get into here today. In fact, we got a co-host coming in for hour number two. Andrew Dowds will be up from his office downstairs. He'll be up here. We got a lot of things to get into with AD. He'll be with me at 11 o'clock. But for our number one, couple of different directions that we're going to go today here on the BMW of Des Moines. Guest list kicking things off at about 1020. Zubin Mahente is going to stop by from ESPN. We'll get Zubin's perspective on everything going on in the world of sports. We'll break down, of course, what's happening in the NFL, the college football playoff. A couple other nuggets out there. Going to get into with Zubin. He'll be by coming your way at about 10.20. Then at 10.45, we'll look back at the Iowa win last night against Minnesota with John Bonicamp. John will be joining us from SI, part of the Maven that has uh, taken over the properties there, built the very college sites that are dedicated to singular college teams. John Bonicamp, formerly of the Burlington Hawkeye, now over there at Sports Illustrated. He'll join us at 1045. He was in Carver last night. His perspective on the 20-point win against the Gophers. We'll get into that. Of course, I'll look forward to the Cyhawk game, plus plenty of football with John Bonacamp. That comes your way at 1045. As mentioned, Andrew Downs, he's going to be here at 11 o'clock. Then 1130, we go to the desert. And with the chilly morning out there today, boy, going to the desert sounds pretty, pretty good. My man, Chris Andrews will be here. Chris Andrews is the sportsbook director for the South Point Casino. That is where VEASAN Studios are. Brent Musburger and the whole crew out there, that's where they originate their shows. It is a great place. If you're heading to Vegas, just had a buddy that was out there, Benzie. He was out there a couple weeks ago, mentioned, hey, stop by. You never know who you're going to run into. Who does he run into right outside the VEASAN Studios, which are right next to the sportsbook? One, Brent Musburger. It is really, really cool. If you're a degenerate like myself, if you're a sports fan like myself, you're going to certainly run into people there at the South Point. Really cool and excited to get Chris back on the show. Chris has been battling a lot of health problems. He's been back at work now for the last, oh, about six, seven weeks and uh, back in the full-time role at the South Point as a sportsbook director. So we'll catch up with Chris. We'll talk about the bowl games, the opening point spreads that they put out. We'll break down Iowa against USC from the gambling perspective. We'll do the same with Iowa State and Notre Dame. Take a look at some of the other bowl games, talk some NFL, and whatever else comes up with Chris Andrews, that at 11.30. In fact, if you have any questions for Chris as a sportsbook director, with sports wagering now legal in our state as we are now, what, August 15th is when things kicked off. So you know we're almost four months into this now. Questions crop up. Concerns, issues, whatever it may be. If you have any questions for a guy that deals with this in a day-out, day-out basis, hit me up. At Trent Condon on Twitter, your questions, 
thoughts, ideas, whatever it may be. And uh, Chris and I will talk about that coming your way at about 1130. That's the rundown for today. Thank you to BMW of Des Moines, who sponsors our rundown each and every day here on Miller & Condon. Ken will be back with us on Thursday. He is still in Tucson as the horse racing convention is happening there. And uh, he'll be with us on Thursday and Friday, of course, as we finish off the week. Cyhawk game coming your way on Thursday. But let's start with a look back at what we saw last night as Iowa with a 20-point victory against Minnesota. You know, some uneven moments early on, but... Nice victory for Iowa. We talked about this yesterday. This is not a vintage Minnesota team. This is not one of Lil Ricky's better squads that he's had up there with Minnesota. And you could see that certainly last night. This is not going to be a team that is in contention for an NCAA tournament berth. This is not going to be a team I think you're going to have to worry about. In fact, this might be one that you look at when you look to the rest of the schedule that Iowa can get later on in the season when they make their way up to Minneapolis. That is uh, certainly one to keep an eye on. But to the here and now and what we saw last night, early on, Luca Garza coming off the 44-point performance. And you know that that was going to be the game plan from the Gophers. From the get-go, they were going to go out there. They were going to make it difficult. They were going to be doubling, and that's what they did every single time. He touched the ball, double came. And they have a pretty good defender in themselves, Turu, who... Played well at times offensively, though he turned it over eight times in the game. But this was a good, good kind of game for Luka Garza. Coming off of that kind of performance, and now teams are going to defend him different. That's going to continue throughout this season. And certainly if I was not hitting shots from the outside, that's going to be the case. But what I really thought, and I thought the biggest stretch of the game was what happened early in the second half. As Iowa led by eight at the half, but as they started to pull away and they had that good run to begin the second half, a lot of that was Luka Garza and what he was doing with the basketball out of those double teams. Wasn't forcing, which, let's be honest, Luka Garza could be a bit of a black hole. When you're a guy that touches the ball as much as he does, when the basketball goes through him, the offense runs through Luka Garza many times down the floor, well, you don't get it back very often. Let's just say that. You're not going to get it back often when Luka gets it in there. But he was able to come out a little bit, make some plays, get the ball out of those double teams, and then get it to the shooters who were able to knock down shots. Jordan Bohanna was outstanding, running the team, 10 assists in the game. Connor McCaffrey, another solid game out of him. This is a team that the pieces are there to at least be in the conversation. I saw some numbers today, and you can say it is way too early to be talking brackets. Like my partner, Ken Miller, from the get-go of the season, he is absolutely engaged to everyone of the bull projections that is out there. College football, he loves the bull projections. And they annoy me because there are so many people that put those bull projections together that don't know what they're talking about, that have Iowa returning to the Outback Bowl. Well, Iowa can't go back to the Outback Bowl. They've been two times in the six-year cycle. Or they have whatever it may be. They don't know the actual rules of bull projections. And that frustrates me. So that's why I just get annoyed more than anything when those things come out. For me... Brackets are kind of like Kendo and bull projections. I love them. I love them in July. I love them in November. I love them here today in December. I love breaking these things down, taking a look at it. I'm sure it goes back to me as a little kid. And for whatever reason, look, you guys listen to me. I'm, I'm a weird dude. I love sports. I love sports since the get-go. And I would sit in my room in the basement as a youngster in beautiful New Haven, Iowa. And I'd have my Nerf hoop. And then I would take a sheet of paper. And I would build a bracket. 
And at the time, I didn't know every team. I knew pretty much every Big Ten, Big Eight team. So I'd throw them in a hat. And then other teams, you and I, Drake. I might throw Minnesota State in there, Mankato State in there. Well, what I knew, though, and I put them in a hat, and then I make a bracket. And then I play it out on my Nerf basketball hoop, and that'd be an afternoon for me. Look, when you grow up in a town of 40 people or any other kids your age, this is what's going to happen. This was fun for me. So brackets, for whatever reason. You know, when you're sitting and doodling in class, and people drawing pictures, making characters. Me? No. I was building brackets. So for whatever reason, I guess it has something that goes way back in time for me. Anytime I see a bracket, I get excited about it. So I saw one today from Dave Oman, who uh, does the bracketology at NBCSports.com. Have Dave on the show many times throughout the years. We'll have him on this season. We'll uh, have a guy from USA Today, Shelby Mast. We, I love bracketologists. I love breaking these things down. But to show you the importance already of the Seahawks game, and it's always important for a myriad of different reasons, but what these teams, what we anticipate they're going to be, both Iowa and Iowa State this season, I still feel that Iowa State is a solid NCAA tournament team. You know, fighting for a top four seed and being protected and being able to close, play close to home, I don't see that. But I think they're going to be solidly in the field. Yet today, Dave Homan at NBC Sports has Iowa State as the last team in the bracket. His first team out, the Iowa Hawkeyes. You don't think this game could maybe be the difference? Certainly for Iowa. You get a road victory against Iowa State, a team, like I said, think is going to be a tournament team, that can go a long way. That can be the difference between hosting the first round of the NIT and maybe heading out to Dayton at the very least, or being in the main bracket and not having to go to Dayton. That's the importance of this game for what we're going to see on Thursday night. Back to last night for the Hawkeyes. A couple other notes. As we mentioned, Luca Garza, I think it was a great game for him, though, understanding the way that people are going to be defending him and then learning other things that you can do coming out of that. Dude's not going to go for 44, but here today, you guys know my affinity for Ken Pomeroy and his numbers. I think they're a way to look at and see if your eyeballs match up with what you're seeing. What we're seeing right now is Luca Garza is playing at a high level. He is eighth in National Player of the Year ranking at this point. From Ken Pomeroy, number one, Jordan Nawara of Louisville, who is playing ridiculously well. That Louisville team is stacked. Vernon Carey, freshman from Duke. Caleb Wesson, who's leading Ohio State. Uh, look at Ohio State, what they've been able to do. Dominated performance against Penn State. The way that they absolutely throttled Carolina at North Carolina. The dominating performance against Villanova. Two wins already against teams that were ranked in the top 10 at the time. Marcus Howard at Marquette. Miles Powell at Seton Hall. Cyclone fans, you saw him a couple of times here already this season. You know how good he can be. Cole Anthony at North Carolina, the fine freshman. Devin Dotson at Kansas. And there's Luka Garza checking in at number 8 in the National Player of the Year standings. Great for Garza. Still got his numbers. Still put up big things. And here's a sneaky little number to keep an eye on. Basically, if Luka Garza, if this team wins a couple games in the Big Ten Tournament, Plays a game, two, maybe three, come postseason. Now, that very well could be NIT or NCAA, but whatever it may be. And then the same kind of year next year. If Luca Garza, depending on the number of games he plays, averages a shade over 19 points per game, he breaks Roy Marble's record and becomes the career-scoring leader in Iowa basketball history. That is on the table if he continues up at the pace that he's playing at right now. It's going to be more difficult. Speaking of big guys, you got to go up against guys like Caleb Wesson come big time time. 
Michigan State, what they're going to throw at you, and on and on and on. Going to be more difficult going forward, no doubt, but still something to keep an eye on if Luca Garza continues to score at this level. Iowa with the 20-point win against Minnesota. Mentioned Jordan Bohan and his 10 assists in the game. One thing that was mentioned on the broadcast last night was the hip injury that Jordan Bohannon's going through. But one thing that they talked about, Robbie Hummel was the color guy last night with uh, the Omaha guy. I can't think of his name. But regardless, that the other hip is bothering him. And this is something that I've heard whispered. It's nothing official, but there are people out there that believe, like most everybody I think does, that he's going to shut it down after the Iowa State game on Thursday. But the reason for that, that he's going to shut it down, is because he needs surgery on his other hip. This isn't verified. This is just a rumor. This is just something that I've heard, like I said, whispered, murmured about. Nothing official, but that could be the possibility. Remember when Nazmi True Long went through this same type of injury, he had surgery on both hips. I'm no doctor. I have absolutely nothing close to a medical degree. So take it for what it's worth, but that very well could be coming out if he decides to shut it down, and it sounds like he probably will after the Cyclone game. It'll be his 10th game of the season, the 11th for the Hawkeyes. He sat out the game against Cal Poly. Get the red shirt, come back then for a senior year, and a team looks to have a chance to make a real big run uh, come next season. Iowa with the win there. Also last night, Monday Night Football. Not a whole lot to say, right? I mean, Giants-Eagles, Eagles come back. They're down two scores, 17-3. Score late in the fourth quarter to push it to overtime. And then, right down the field, they get the victory. Didn't get the cover. No, no, Mr. Monday Night with another loss. That is now three consecutive losses for Mr. Monday Night. We need to go back to the drawing board. We're running out of uh, precious Monday nights left of the season. In fact, just two left. How about that? Two Monday Night games left on the season. Uh, Sad how quickly... Things can end there, but uh, victory there. The one thing, though, that at least on the local level or the regional level, if you will, that that I thought was interesting after that one. Of course, both Philadelphia and Dallas now sit at 6-7. and seven. And the structure of the NFL, whoever wins that division, will be the four seed. We argued about last week. I brought up the point. I believe, sure, you win your division, you're, you're in. You're one of the six in in each conference. That's fine. I got no problem with that. But automatically giving them a home game, Automatically giving them the four seed. That's where I have a little bit more trouble. Now, Seattle, Seattle might finish three, four games in front of these teams that's going to win that division. They got to go on the road in the first round as it's currently set up. Got a problem with that. Don't think that that's actually the truest representation. But the importance for the Vikings and the Packers here going down the stretch. Vikings are game back at nine and four, 10 and three for Green Bay. In fact, Green Bay right now has the number two seed in the NFC. Green Bay has the head-to-head. They'll play in Week 16, coming up a week from Sunday, that one in Minnesota, before the Vikings finish up with the Bears, Chargers this week. But the importance of that division, because not only do you have a possibility of getting the number 2 seed, but if you don't, you're more than likely not going to be the 5 seed, and that means you don't get that road trip to either Dallas or Philly, a very winnable road game. Instead, might be heading to New Orleans in the wild-card round. You want that? I don't think so. That's not what you want to be signing up for. So bring it to the local level there. Monday Night Football, we'll get ready for NFL. In fact, my talk's of NFL coming up. Andrew Downs is going to be joining me at 11 o'clock. He's also a Bears fan like myself. We'll see if he's got any hope. I'm a very beat-down fan. I'm not the most optimistic guy in general 
when it comes to my teams. And because of that, we'll see. Maybe AD can provide a little optimism for the Bears fans out of there. Speaking of the Bears, tomorrow, David Kaplan, he's going to be getting by. He is going to join us from Arizona. He is down there for the MLB winter meetings. We'll get his perspective. We'll, of course, talk Bears with him. Also talk a lot of Cubs and White Sox. That's coming your way on tomorrow's program. But we still got a lot more to come. Kicking things up on the other side with Zubin Mahente from ESPN. He'll join me as we take you up till noon here on a Tuesday. Trent Condon flying solo today as we come back. It's 1460. Streaming live from coast to coast on iHeartRadio. This is 1460 KXNO. Back with you here on a Tuesday morning. It's Miller and Condon, 1460 KXNO. Trent Condon, joined right now by Zubin Mahente from ESPN. Zubin, a busy time of year. We got football. We got the top four of the college football playoff. NFL Week 15 coming up this week. Of course, college basketball hot and heavy. And with the ACC and Big Ten playing conference games early, college basketball at least trying to nudge their way into the conversation a little bit more. Good time to be a sports fan. Oh, no doubt about it. I mean, you're right. The 20-game ACC schedule is a little weird. It is already strange that Virginia and North Carolina have played a game. It's already strange that Syracuse and Virginia have played a game. I think, if I'm not mistaken, Iowa's already played two Big Ten games. Obviously, I know there's a big game with Iowa State coming up uh, this week. So, yeah, it is great. I know you love college hoops. I do mm-hmm. as well. So it's definitely good that it's uh, kind of punching its way into the conversation, but it's still having a difficult time on, on unseating football, at least as far as we're concerned for the story count that I'm doing every night. But it's definitely good to have it back. So, Zubin, uh want to start with college football with you here today. It seemed pretty cut and dry after what we saw Friday night with Oregon knocking off Utah that Outside of Georgia beating LSU, it was going to be a quarterfinal matchup with Baylor going up against Oklahoma. And, of course, the Sooners get it done in overtime. The The thing that, I don't know if it bothered me or, or what the right verbiage would be for it, but when they're announcing the top four, it was cut and dry at this point. It felt very simple, yet Georgia stays at five after looking absolutely awful, coupled with a brutal loss to South Carolina, yet they remain in that fifth spot. In the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. But then they're trying to sell us a bill of goods that, you know, we had a conversation about that four spot. Come on. Why, why even bring that up? Is it, is it just because we have to have an argument? So that's why, you know, we, we did give Georgia a real look here. There's no way Georgia should have been in with the resume that they have. That, I don't know. Whatever reason that just, it left a sour taste in my mouth. Yeah. I mean, I don't, it seems hard to believe considering the six year history of the playoff, no two loss team has ever made it in. Now, I think the skeptics would say if there was ever a two loss team, that team would likely come from the SEC. But I agree with you. Not with that final note that they put out there and getting crushed by LSU. If the game was close, if it came right down to it, obviously the committee valued LSU's overall schedule, put them at number one. So if Georgia had played them to the wire, minus tickets in the first half, minus Lawrence Cager, who's out for the season, um, I could see that, right? A shorthanded Georgia taking the number one team in the opinion of the committee down to the wire on a neutral field. But obviously that game was pretty much over almost when it started. And so I would agree with you. I, I think, you know, it was a little bit of a disappointing overall weekend because, you know, for the second straight season, as you mentioned, you turn on that Pac-12 team, 40,000 empty seats. Mm. Um, you got two teams that are vying for one trying to get into a New Year's Six with Oregon, 
The other, obviously, was Utah's trying to get into the playoff or at least solidify a better position for Sunday. It's a sloppy, sloppy game uh, that has very little interest. Um, you're playing it in the Bay Area, two teams out of town, a bizarre local start time. It just for the second year in a row, it just didn't feel right to the Pac-12. And you're right, then it continued into Saturday. I actually thought the Big 12 was fascinating. You know, I think people were ready to write off Baylor, having the 28-3 lead in the first game against Oklahoma. But then basically with three quarterbacks, I mean, I don't know I mean, how deep the other teams this past weekend would have to go and how confident they would feel in their third-string quarterback. But Baylor was able to move the ball in Oklahoma, a little easier to move it on Oklahoma than some of the other top teams. But even in a loss, i got to tell you, I know Baylor has lost to Oklahoma twice, but of all the teams this weekend that did themselves a favor, I mean, obviously the teams that got into the playoff are in a different echelon. The fact that Baylor lost, found its way to a New Year's Six game, and clearly established themselves as the second-best team in the Big 12 now, if you're an Iowa State fan, I know that's the spot you were angling for. But even in defeat this past weekend, I was kind of impressed by Baylor. i got to give it up. I, I was right there with you. And uh, Zeno came in and he, well, he made two completions. They were both huge for 159 yards. Not very often you see those kind of numbers out of the quarterback. Oklahoma ultimately gets it done. Oklahoma, they're a big dog in that first game against LSU. We'll get Ohio State-Clemson in the other Two outstanding matchups. You got blue blood programs. You got power names that are going to be attached to it here. But Oklahoma's a double digit underdog to LSU. LSU is really good. And what they've done really the last two weeks, I was incredibly impressed against AM, who I thought maybe was going to give them a little bit of a tussle. They completely shut down Kelamon, looked them, made them look terrible. And the same thing with Georgia. Does it finally feel like maybe LSU is waking up? We know they can score, and Joe Burrow's as good as you're going to find, but that defense finally coming around too. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I'm not as harsh on LSU's defense as other people. I mean, uh, you know, they had a bad game against John Rice Plumley and Ole Miss, but I think there's some evidence there that in the next couple of years, that kid is going to be one of the best dual-threat quarterbacks in the country. And, yes, that came right after the Alabama game. And after the Alabama game, you're like, oh, my goodness, LSU has got to be the most complete team out there. I mean, look what they did. They furiously held off Tua. They dominated. They're up 20 points at the break. And then they had that win against LSU where they were just gashed defensively. And for whatever reason, at that point, people started doubting their defense. But I think you can actually say that, yes, you know, Ole Miss was a 4-17. and They got themselves a new coach officially introduced yesterday. But I think a lot of teams at the end of the season are going to have trouble stopping Ole Miss at least offensively. They still won the game rather handily, which is something people have lost sight of because of the way that they were gashed defensively. Um, I think their resume speaks for itself. They clearly played the hardest schedule. Uh, in the country. They had a great crescendo moment, as we talked about, against Georgia. So I'm not so concerned about LSU's defense as many as other people are because it was one game. It also happened to come after an incredibly emotional game that they had won and they'd stake their entire season on. Yeah, they went to Ole Miss. And yeah, they got gashed. But they were in no danger of losing the game. And I think that's the one thing that people have lost sight of. Yes, like I said, they looked a little mortal on one side of the football. But I don't think that was as big of a concern as many people thought, and obviously I think Rob Mullins and the committee agreed with that uh, because they had no hesitation in flip-flopping Ohio State and LSU on the final weekend of the season. Clemson preseason number one. They returned a ton, though. They lost some defensively, including their quarterback, uh, Trevor Lawrence, and, of course, Travis Etienne, the fine running back there. Preseason number one, they dominate their schedule short of that North Carolina game. 
And the conversation for the last month plus has been between LSU and Ohio State, boy, you just want to be number one because you don't want to play Clemson. Well, Clemson's this good. Shouldn't they just still be number one? It's funny. We had Greg McElroy on Center on Sunday uh, after the rankings came out, and we just talked about Clemson. And I just said, listen, and, and, he, and I don't know if you would agree with this, but if it was any other team, Trent, that I said had this resume, and it's almost as simple as this, Clemson has won 28 straight games. Think <laughs> about that. Trevor Lawrence is 24 and up. <laughs> and if that was any other program that had been reeling off of 28 straight wins, the quarterback was undefeated, we would be talking about this nonstop. Mm-hmm. And this is not even the biggest storyline of the play. But think about it, we're just having a conversation. I agree with your line of questioning. LSU is a bigger story than Clemson because they've never been in. Oklahoma is a bigger story because of the Jalen Hurst factor and all of that. But Clemson's body of work, and I know you only judge based on this year, but their cumulative body of work should be getting tons of people fired up. And it's not. And I totally get it, who they play and where they play. And it's not their fault that the ACC is down. But the reality of the situation, I, I agree with Greg. You know, Greg said, we're just not paying attention to them. Because we know that they're going to win the ACC and we'll just be on the selection day and we'll hash it out then. Whereas we're parsing out LSU's defense. We're wondering about why Justin Fields had a poor first pass for the first time this season. We're wondering if Oklahoma is really that good if they had to take Baylor to the wire twice, even though we both tend to think Baylor is pretty good. And all of those stories were, were, were just discussed ad nauseum. And here comes a team that's put together one of the best streaks of the, in modern history and we basically had to remind ourselves they're in the playoff, and mostly because of who they're playing. <laughs> um, so I, I agree. I just think that they're, they could have been number one. I don't think there's any question. After that North Carolina scare, they played about as good football as anybody out there. The quality of competition is not as great as anybody out there. But if you told me any other team in America had won 28 games in a row heading into the college football playoff, it would be the number one talker. I remember a few years ago, Trent, where Alabama had their 26-game losing streak snapped by Clemson. And that Alabama went into that game having won 26 in a row is a gigantic thing, a gigantic deal. And we're not giving Clemson the same amount of attention, and it's probably just because of the league they're a part of. Yeah, that, that certainly is a big factor here, the ACC, and not a whole lot of resistance on that side. ESPN Zubin Mahente joining me here. It's Miller and Condon on KXNO. Zubin, I'm going to put you on the hot seat on the local front. Iowa USC on the Holiday Bowl. Then a day later, it is Iowa State Notre Dame. What has more national cachet? Playing Notre Dame at the same time as the Cotton Bowl, leading into the college football playoff, the two semifinal games, or Iowa in a little bit of a standalone game, seven o'clock kickoff against USC. Which one has more uh, national appeal? Taking you away from the state of Iowa. Okay, just I'll answer it quickly. I mean. Personally, I think the Iowa State game, just personally, is, is the bigger deal. But nationally, I think the Iowa game is a bigger deal because anything on the day of the playoff trend. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I, I hate that the sport has become this, and I'm not saying this is the case for Iowa. They have a chance for a 10-week season. I'm not saying this is the case for Iowa State. They're playing in their first Florida Bowl game against one of the legendary programs in the history of the game. But the sport is sort of boiled down to, for a lot of people, if you're not playing – on December 28th in those two games, <laughs> it's almost like it's not happening. It's unfortunate. Even the New Year's Six for a lot of people, they have to be reminded like who's in the New Year's Six because there's been so much concentration 
on who's playing in the college football playoffs. So anybody that would be playing on that day would just have their attention swallowed by Oklahoma, LSU, Clemson, and Ohio State. So from that national perspective, I would pick Iowa by exclusion because they're not up against the day of the college football playoff. Personally, for me, I think Iowa State-Notre Dame is a little bit more intriguing. I know there's a little bit of a score to settle there with USC. I was working (laughs) in Iowa during that Orange Bowl. I remember that big touchdown return to start the game and and all that, and it looked like things were going to go great. But I would just tell you selfishly, if I could, that I think Iowa State-Notre Dame is tremendous. There's so much on the line for Iowa State there. Ten-win season for Iowa, not playing in the shadow of the playoffs. So I would take I would take the Hawks in that situation. Hawks and Pro. Zubin uh, to the NFL. Let's uh, something that talked about a little bit last week. Maybe gaining some momentum. I think Peter Kang maybe wrote about it this week in his column, and it is the very real possibility that a team with a losing record from the NFC East not only going to get in with the division victory, be it the Eagles or the Cowboys, but also going to host in the opening round. You. Do you think there's going to be more traction here? We've seen this before. Going back to 2010, Seattle at 7-9 gets in. They host a Saints team that was 11-5, and and then Seattle wins that game outright and gets the victory in that one. Saw Carolina a few years ago. They had a losing record, got to host as a division winner. If you win your division, you're in. You're part of the six. I'm fine with that, but the hosting that comes along with it, maybe a possibility of that being taken away. Any kind of traction from the NFL? I think it's going to stay. You mentioned Carolina was actually 7-8-1, which mm-hmm. is a real ugly bar to win the division. Yes. But um, I do think there has to be some level of importance to winning the division. And if you're going to take the home playoff game away from the team that wins the division, I'm not sure what the advantage of winning the division is anymore. Um, look, I'm not making the rules to say winning the division is important, but the league has clearly made it important that your division matters. You're playing each division team twice. They've made it such that you're playing a division team in Week 17 because they feel that's an important arbiter in the final week of the season as things are on the line. So if you're telling me that you have to play your division opponents more than anybody else, we're setting it up that on the final week of the season you have to play somebody that's familiar to you. I think they're basically saying there has to be some advantage to winning the division. And you're right. It has happened with Seattle and it was victorious. It has happened with the Panthers. But I would say that, you know, I'm not saying those are two outliers. But for the overwhelming percentage of the time, it really hasn't been a problem. And I think the NFL tends to address, and this is just my opinion, the NFL tends to address things when they become full-fledged disasters. You know what I mean? If like every single year this is happening, then the league would do something because the time, unfortunately the league's MO is something bad has happened on or off the field, and now we're going to make up some sort of rule to fix that. But in this case, it's not happened that frequently. It has happened a couple of times, as you particularly mentioned here in the last decade. And so it's raised some eyebrows that could happen here. Again, obviously, as you're referencing uh, the NFC East after yesterday's Monday Night Football game. Um, it's possible. But I think the league has always valued home field. And if you took the home game away from the team that wins the division, I think you're basically saying home, uh, the division winning is not as important. And I think the league has always valued it as an important factor. And again, like I said, I just, it hasn't happening much. So I think they might explore it. They might even explore taking away instant replay. There's a lot of things on the board that they're perhaps looking at because of the disappointment in the way the coaches' challenges have worked. But I think for now, even though it's been discussed, I think if you win the division at any mark, you'll continue to host the playoffs. Zubin, you've uh, been right back in the middle of things again with a lot of New England Patriot conversation 
not only losing two games in a row as they fall to 10 and 3 and the offense continues to sputter, but now you got Bill Belichick and the Patriots involved in another taping or filming scandal with the uh, game with the Bengals and the Browns. It, the story for me, it makes my head hurt, but your takeaway from this and anything us general fans here in the Midwest is just another reason to hate the Patriots. <laughs> I mean, I think this story is probably, as we say, this is the term in the business that you know, Trent. I, I think the legs on this story are going to run out pretty quick. Yeah. Uh, just because it does feel like it was a mistake. It just felt like, you know, some millennial that didn't know any better, and it's probably never heard of Belichick 2007 spy game. <laughs> Um, you know, it's pretty it's pretty brazen, Trent, to walk in there and try to do this. Let's just say it was nefarious, right? It's, and it wasn't, I don't think. But if it was nefarious, for them to roll in there with a guy wearing a New England Patriots T-shirt, I mean, <laughs> if that would just be, I mean, just, just trying to do it. If you wanted to stick it to the league and you're still mad about spy bait and Belichick's half-million-dollar fine and they just pass some fine draft picks, and if, you, if that really bothers you, and you were the Pats, I don't think you would come in in this particular fashion, guns blazing, uh, into the press box. Everything seems to check out. Uh, you know, the Browns cleared it. They credentialed them. wasn't that big of a deal. Obviously, they're going to be focusing on the next team. That's what an advanced scout does. One thing I was surprised, though, and I never really got any clearance on this. I was talking to some of our guys yesterday. The way this went down, guys sitting there in a Patriots T-shirt, he's filming, Somebody raises a ruckus. NFL security is called to the scene. The tape is taken away in the press box. And you've sat in a lot of press boxes, mm-hmm. and I have. Press boxes are crowded. Yeah. There's a lot of people. There's a ton of things going on in the press box. And when I was told by Dan Graziano, our NFL insider yesterday on SportsCenter, he said the first time this was raised, that this incident had happened on Sunday, was Monday during the press conference when the team's radio analyst, Dave Lapham, asked the question. I said, Dan, are you telling me nobody asked Zach Taylor about this after the game on Sunday, or nobody saw it, or nobody thought to bring it up, especially because of the past and their history? The first time someone brought this up was on Monday, the day after the game, despite this having to be probably a pretty high-profile, crazy incident happening in the press box with young people, cameras, videographers, security i just never could wrap my arms around why that happened like how is this done in such a clandestine fashion you would think a lot of people would have their ears perked up if anything like this was happening in and around the press box where tons of people are roaming all game long never got a real great explainer on that but that would make my head trip. it is absolutely wild only in the nfl there's always a storyline and tv ratings up big time along with it zubin out of time for today as always, thank you for your time. I know you're busy. Thanks for carving out a few minutes for us back here in Iowa. Okay, we'll see you next week. Zuba Mahente with us, ESPN. You see him on Sports Center. He joins us here weekly on Miller and Condon. Quick timeout when we come back. We'll get back into the Hawkeyes after the win against Minnesota. I'll look forward to the Seahawk game up in Hilton on Thursday. We'll also talk football with John Bonacamp. He joins us next as we take you up till noon. It's Miller and Condon on 1460. On 1460 KXNO. 24-hour sports anywhere in the world on iHeartRadio. This is 1460 KXNO. It's been a little young MC trying kind of back with you. Having some fun. 
Ken doesn't like the young MC. Maybe our next guest does. I can imagine going back to the late 80s, a young John Bonacamp out on the dance floor at the field house. Young MC oh. in the rafters. Do, do no. I have this right, Mr. Bonacamp? No, A, it would have been mid But, um, <laughs> you know, I just went there to drink. I didn't go there to dance. No, no never uh, made an appearance on the dance floor, huh? No, no. I was, I was kind of, I was just kind of there, you know. A wallflower. A wallflower. That, well, that's yeah. okay. Yeah, I guess you can say that. So. All anyway, right. anyway, well, just those old field house days. Yes, uh, as do I. Long time ago, but alas, yep. here we are, the here and now, and uh, yeah, a couple of old guys like you and myself going into the field house today probably would be a little bit frowned upon, and certainly out there on the dance floor. We're not here to talk about that. Even the field house, we're that's here. Talk, talk Hawkeyes. John Bodekamp joining us from the Maven part of Sports Illustrated. John, you were there last night in Carver, Hawkeye. Iowa gets the victory. Win it by 20 against Minnesota. This is not a vintage Minnesota team. Willie Burton's no. not walking through that door, but still a nice 20-point victory. And for the first time, Iowa actually wins one of these early Big Ten games. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I, and I kind of touched on that in my story today. It's like... You know, you go in now. Now you you go into January one and one, and I mean, rather than zero and two. And you know, I mean, that can be kind of a pretty big hole to be staring at when you get ready to, you know, get back into conference play like that. So you know, that's why I said they. I knew they needed to split these two games. You know, just just for them, just for confidence, just for themselves, just for that kind of like I said, just so you're not staring at that when you get in January. So, you know, and, and the way they played last night, too, was, was impressive, too. I mean, they shot the ball well, um, got some other guys in the, into the action other than just Luca Garza, and, and played really good defense, too. So, I mean, it was a nice win for them last night. Speaking of defense, Iowa holds Minnesota to 0.80 points per possession, one of their best defensive marks they've had the Big Ten in a very long time. Now, a lot of it had to do, Gabe Kalsher, he can throw it in the ocean. Outside right. of Arturo, they, they didn't have a whole lot on that end of the floor, but you could tell from the get-go, and especially at the beginning of the second half, very concerted effort. Fran got on the guys about defense after what they gave up against Michigan Friday night. Yeah, I mean, you you go back to that game, and 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 it you know you you gave up you scored ninety-one, but you gave up a hundred three. So you know what that says to you that your main problem is you're you're not stopping the ball, you're not stopping shots, and Minnesota did get a few open looks last night, but a lot of those looks last night were contested. And that was a lot different from what you saw against Michigan, where there were just so many wide open shots. There were still a few breakdowns here and there, and and and, and Iowa, I think, was a little bit fortunate that that Minnesota wasn't shooting the ball well. But at the same time, I, I thought they just did a lot of nice things defensively. And when you hold a Big Ten team, I don't care who it is, fifty-two points, you're doing pretty good, I think. John, uh, right away, Luca Garza after the forty-four point performance, you know that Arturo and the rest of the Minnesota defense they were going to be collapsing on him. Forced it a few times, and that's what Luca does. I mean, he's a scorer. He gets the basketball, he's going to go. He's going to try to make a move. He's going to try to get it in the bucket. But really like what I saw from him in the second half is he was moving the ball much more effectively, getting it out of those double teams before the double team even got there, getting it back out very quickly. This is the way the teams are going to be playing him. And, and good to see. Luca Garza is a smart basketball player, but having that offensive identity where the defense is coming from can open up a lot of things for the rest of the Iowa offense. Well, and, and, and one of the things, and, and, and I kind of touched on this yesterday in, in this piece I wrote, that he has become really good at adjusting, like, like you said. And, 
you know, you go back to the, the to the DePaul game, and he started really slowly in that game. Still had a good game number-wise, but obviously that night nobody had a good game. Um, and you can kind of see this game by game. Everybody's throwing something different at him, and he's figuring it out. And he's figuring it out in-game. It's not a day, you know, it's not next game, oh, hey, I learned this by watching tape. No, he's figuring it out during the game. And, and I think that's a good sign for his IQ, the maturity that he's showing right now as a big man, that, that he's taking whatever they're, they're throwing at him, and he's figuring out a way to adjust to it. And I think that's a really good sign moving forward. John Bodekamp joining me here here on Miller and Con in KXNO. Hey, uh, John, Joe Wieskamp also figured it out in a big way. He'd been struggling. There was talk out at Syracuse that got sick when he was in Vegas and still wasn't feeling his best. How about the dunk out there in transition? That was good to see. A little lift in the leg, but maybe most importantly, hitting shots from the outside. Shooting 42% now from downtown. They're going to need his shooting and certainly going to need it in a big way if the ultimate decision to shut it down for Jordan Bohannon comes. But good to see Wieskamp did it with offense, did a little bit with defense too. Yeah, and, that, and, you know, and after the game he said that, that, that one of the things he was really upset about after the Michigan game was how poor he'd played defensively. And, you know, so last night he, he, he was doing a lot better on that end of the court, and it really kind of, I think, started him on the other end. I mean, it started out well. I mean, obviously they got him a three-pointer right away. You know, he gets 11 of their first 13 points, 13 of their first 17. Um, really, you know, really got into a rhythm. Then, then he kind of disappeared for the rest of the half, but other guys picked it up. Then he hits the big three right before the end of the half. It's, it's the big three coming out of the half. Um, you know, I mean, I, I, I just think last night was maybe a turning point for him because they're really going to need him at this point. You've got Luca Garza. <coughs> Excuse me. He's unstoppable. He's been able to do a lot of things. But you're going to need a second and third score. And, you know, that's the way Joe Wieskamp has to be that, you know, somewhere between 18 and 20 points every night. Because especially, as you said, whenever, whenever Jordan Bohannon makes his decision, you know, he, he's going to have to, he's going to have to have consistent nights like he had last night. Yeah, I mentioned earlier in the show today, John, that there continues to be, there's nothing substantiated, nothing official, but they mentioned it on the broadcast last night on BTN, Jordan Bohannon. Of course, we know about the hip surgery that he had, but maybe the other hip possibly needing surgery over there. Again, this is just rumblings. It's nothing official, but it feels like after the game Thursday against Iowa State, I think most people believe he's going to shut it down and not just shut it down to to come back and get everything right, but there might be more surgery needed for Jordan Bohannon. You hearing at least some of the same kind of rumblings? I hear the same kind of rumblings, but he didn't really let on to that last night. But you can kind of tell. He says he hasn't made a decision, but you can kind of tell that he has. Yeah. And I, I think he knows he can get through Thursday night and then, you know, rest, see what happens. Because, you know, I mean, if, if, you, if you can get maybe a month's rest out of him, get into January, and then he can decide, okay, am I going to have to have, if he really does have to have surgery on the other hip, yep. um, you know, can you do that now? And then that gives you a long time to prepare for next season rather than, you know, this surgery that happened at the end of May. Yeah, this doesn't surprise me any. I mean, I, I, I've told the story that there was a player at Western Illinois University last year who I covered who had both hips operated on in the off season, and it took him the entire season to get back into some sort of rhythm, and it, it just it just never worked for him. And so for Jordan, I, I think, you know, it's like get, get to this point in the season, see, see how he feels. He doesn't feel good. You know, you can just kind of tell. But last night he did a lot of great things. Ten assists, no turnovers. 
um, you know, they're going to miss that. They're going to miss that leadership on the floor. But if you've got him on the bench, if you've got him as kind of that, that player-coach thing, I think it helps them out. But, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm like you. I, I think that, that Thursday night will be it for him, and, and then, you know, he goes and has whatever needs to be done and gets well and gets – because he said, I want my body right. Mm-hmm. That was what he said last night. I want to feel right. And I don't think he feels right right now, and you can tell that. Naz Meacher Long from Iowa State, he went through the same thing, had surgery on both those hips before he came back for his final season. Speaking of Iowa State, that's the next opponent, possibly the final game this year for Jordan Bohannon. What do you expect to see up there in Hilton, Iowa? He's had a couple of opportunities in Hilton the last couple of times they've been there, but ultimately uh, let some leads slip away, and, and Iowa State were able to get victories. What do you anticipate we're going to see in Ames? You know, you've got, you've got two teams, I think, and I watched a little bit of Iowa State's game on Sunday night, and they're, they're, they're a lot like Iowa in the sense of, I mean, they fight. I mean, you can tell there's a lot of fight. I think it's going to be a really gritty game. I mean, I, as, as I am the lone arbiter. You are, yes, yes. Um, I, I think this is going to be a, a really gritty game. It's going to have to be who kind of steps up there late. You know, who, who, who are some guys that are going to step up in this game, I think, is going to, are going to make the difference. Um, I expect it to be a tough fight. I mean, they, these teams really, and I don't think they like each other much. And, um, you know, and that's one of the things Jordan Bohannon said last night. Yeah, we won last year, but they've got that game circled from two years ago. At, at Hilton, the game that they thought they should have had and they didn't get. So um, I, I think those are, those are things that are on those guys' minds. I think it's going to be a tough game. I think it's going to be a, you know, it's going to be a brawl, and that's what rivalry games should be. Finally, I don't mean that literally. <laughs> but, <you know. laughs> yes, yes, I, I got you there. Well, final thing yeah. for you before we run out of our John, and want to get your perspective. It is San Diego. It is the Holiday Bowl. A return trip to San Diego. For the Hawkeye fans, as the Bumblebees are making their way down to San Diego, USC is the opponent. Possibility of maybe some payback for the 2003 Orange Bowl, but your perspective here, kind of what most people anticipated, and Iowa gets their return trip. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought maybe there was a chance they might slip into that Citrus Bowl and then play Alabama, which I think would have been really cool. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, I, this is kind of where they were, they were ticketed all along. And I, I think this is, this is an interesting matchup for them. I mean, this is the USC team that throws the ball. Um, you know, it's going to test Iowa's defense. And Iowa's defense has passed every test this year. And so I, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a really good game. I think it's a good trip for them. Um, it's a chance for them to get back to this game. Them, and when you think about it, that was tradition in the eighties. I mean, they played back to back games out there and they played another one again in 1991 and have them back. So, um, I think this is a good trip for them. I think it's a good opponent for them. You know, it's a, it's a high it's a high name opponent. I think it's going to be a great game. Looking forward to it, John. You making your way to San Diego? Yep, I'm leaving Christmas Day. Christmas so my Day. My mom's not happy about that. But, you know, <laughs> well, um, but it is what it is. Get her a little extra something for Christmas that she'll be exactly. all right. Exactly. John Vodacamp John joining us here. You can find his work over at Hawkeye Maven, part of Sports Illustrated. As always, Wise Owl, thank you for your time. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. That's John Bonacamp with us here. We get the timeout. Andrew Downs is going to step in to the hot seat across from me. We'll talk everything going on in the world of sports here on the local level. Then at 1130, Chris Andrews, my man in the desert, he's going to stop by. He is the sports book director at the South Point Casino. Lots to talk about with him. That's all coming your way next here on 1460.